What I think driven me as a division manager and a district manager is it's really important to me the leadership I provide for the people around me. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I had people around me, now that was all the reason I needed to perform at a high level. I was able to develop a really great work ethic and just showing up no matter how I felt and just found the plan. And I kept coming back to that same advice I got that is focus on growing your people and you'll be fine. Challenges are temporary. As happens for most people, Ryan Trembler's career has passed through several distinct stages as he has advanced and evolved. The common threads of work ethic and investing in his people have carried Ryan to become one of the top performing managers in the history of the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. His stories and lessons will be relatable for almost anyone as you progress through work and life. I know you'll enjoy this genuine conversation and the valuable insights of Ryan Trembler. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is Ryan Trembler, our Northern New England Division Manager for Cutco Vector Marketing. Ryan's days in the Cutco Vector business go all the way back to 1993 after he finished high school. He worked with the company throughout college at the University of Pittsburgh, graduated with a double major, poli-sci and business, and became a district manager uh, in 1997. Ryan advanced to become a division manager within four years and has been headquartered in the Boston area as our Northern New England division manager for the past 19 years. Of course, over that stretch of 19 years as a division manager, Ryan has experienced various stages of his career. That's one of the things that we're going to talk about during this conversation today. Overall, Ryan has been one of the most prolific achievers in the history of the company, has produced over $86 million in Cutco sales, of course, a member of the company's Hall of Fame. And so Ryan Trembler, happy to have you as a guest on the podcast today. Thanks for being here. No problem. Happy to be here. All right. Well, let's start with uh, hearing about your early days and how you started with Vector back in 1993. All right. My uh, early days, it's going back a bit, but uh, I am from Eastern Pennsylvania. So I applied in the Vector office run by John Kane. John so Kane. A, a lot of people know that name. So indeed, ran my interview, ran my training, and uh, was my direct manager for three years until I moved to the pilot. 
Uh, All right. And you guys were the number one office in the company in 1993, as far as I can remember. I, we were. We were. I had $10,000 of CPO of that number one year. Uh, <laughs> well, 10K was, uh, was good. You contributed. So <laughs> nice. What were some of the early lessons or experiences that stood out from uh, your first few years as a cuckoo rep? So much. One of my earliest was a good friend of mine was in training with me. And uh, if you would have guessed between the two of us who would have sold more, you would have guessed him. And uh, he did a demo and, and uh, turned in the knives. You know, he, he gave up on his <laughs> career. And uh, I called him on the way to... I was getting ready to leave for advanced training. And he goes, yeah, I'm not going. And I was like, what? It's awesome. And I remember trying to convince him to come to advanced training because I was having a great time. And uh, he, uh, we never saw him again in the Cutco biz. And so I learned, uh, you know, not everybody makes it. So that was a, an early lesson. Yeah. Uh, the uh, couple weeks later, though, I had my moment. And uh, this is... Uh, of all the things I remember for that first summer, this was probably the most impactful. And, and I came to a team meeting after a particularly terrible day and decided that I was going to turn in the knives myself and uh, waited till the end of the meeting, listened to the whole meeting and uh, handed John my knives. And I said, you're great. I just can't, you know, this, this is not my thing. And I don't remember what I said, but I, I'll, I'll never forget. He said, hey, why don't you hang back? And he saw everyone else out and everybody went to the restaurant up the street. And he ended up staying in the parking lot with me for what's probably an hour talking about why this business was worth my time, why I shouldn't give up on myself now. And, and to think that that, I mean, that was the number one organization in the nation in this restaurant. And he, he took the time with a brand new rep. I was probably at $2,000, $3,000 in sales. Really, it ended up impacting me in so many ways in my management career, really in my life. I still can't believe it to this day that he spent all that time when the bulk of his team was right down the road. Wow. Wow. You know, there's a concept that I talk about frequently that I call moments of truth. And a moment of truth is a seemingly small decision in, at the time that winds up having a profound impact on the rest of your life. And if you think about the decision to quit working here, Back in 1993, when you were at two or three thousand dollars in sales, and where that might have led you in life, we'll never know. But obviously, you know, John helping you see why you should stick around and your decision to not quit that has had a profound impact on your entire life. Absolutely. So, yeah. And, and it's interesting to think about that your friend, he left after, you know, one demo or whatever it is, right? And and I, I think that is a good lesson that people learn when you work in Vector, right? Is that not everybody hangs in and, and tries things and like hangs through adversity, right? Some people quit at the smallest little roadblock, right? Like I have always thought about, right, the reps on our teams that do exactly what you described. And, you know, it's a pretty good percentage, 20% or so that probably just give up right away. And they had the exact same training that you and I had, they had the exact same literature and supplies. They had the exact same sample kit that you and I had. By and large, they had about the same kind of leads, you know, for the most part. You know, people are showing middle-aged, you know, ladies that typically are target customers. And yet one person hangs in and one person doesn't. And, you know, sometimes that's a little bit of a mystery as to who that's going to happen with, but it, uh, it's just a reality of life, I think. So, yeah. 
that yeah. friend of mine probably had better leads. Uh, looking back, that thing that John did, I mean, it really summed up for me so much management and leadership, really. And three weeks before when I interviewed, I wasn't looking for another life mentor. But uh, that night, you know, he just, the, that move that he made. And I remember him saying, and I've heard him say it so many times, but now the whole company's heard him say it. I have a guess, but he brought me up in the business and leadership as, as if you take care of your people, then you'll be taken care of. So he would always said, if we take care of our people, then Vector will take care of us. Mm-hmm. And him there taking care of me, that's just kind of how John has always done it. And then for me, it's one of the things that I remember. We've had some what we call parking lot conversations in the parking lots of my offices over the years, helping people realize how great they can be. So I yeah. definitely, definitely paid it forward. Yeah, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. So you worked with John for a few years during college, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then what made you choose to stay with Vector after you finished college? I'd say the biggest thing. So there was that feeling of like, I want to compete. You know, like I look up to these guys. I want to see, you know, I want to beat them. You know, there was that competitive part. But I think more than that, even was just watching, you know, John. Uh, I did get a chance, Earl Kelly was the competing district manager in the next town over. I got a chance to get to know him a little bit better because of how close he and John were. My division manager at the time, Tom Cannon, Al Leonardo. As you get to know these people more, they're just amazing people. And what also struck me was how much passion people had for the business. And just loving what they did. Growing up, uh, even to this day, I don't have a lot of people in my family that really love what they do. And they're all hard workers and they, they do a good job. But I don't see a lot of people loving what they do. And so it struck me how much they really were just in love with the impact they were having and what they were doing. And so I think I wanted to just get more of that and spend more time in that environment. When I went DM, the plan was to three years and then save money, go to grad school. And it just seemed like the right group of people to be around for a couple of years after college. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, a lot of people receive the advice of, you know, do what you love after you get out of school. And I think that the converse of that is probably more important. And the idea is loving what you do. It's finding that sweet spot of something you enjoy, but also something that has enough impact on others that you really are loving what you're doing and that adds enough value in the world that you can get paid well for it. And the, you know, that district manager was that sweet spot for you. It was for me. It, it is for many people of something that, you know, is fun that we enjoy doing, but that really adds enough impact to other people that it gives us that fulfillment from the job versus just sort of, you know, renting out our time for a paycheck to the highest bidder. And um, I I think that that's a kind of a cool thing about being a district manager with, uh, with Vector. So it's cool that you saw that. Now, I know you've had some distinct stages of your career with the company. So initially as a district manager, and then you became a division manager after you know almost four years. Tell us about some of the early stages of your career and just how you evolved or moved from one stage to the next. Okay. So my first summer, I was really well-trained. I was a pilot the year before, and I didn't hit the numbers on my business plan, we'll say, in my first summer. And uh, that was all... Looking back, it was all on just the way I was approaching uh, that summer. So took me until mid-June to really open up and put my ego aside and, and ask for help. You know, Prior to that, I was just in the mode of, I'll figure it out. And 
and uh, I just wasn't in my best best space headspace. Fortunately for me, that after kind of making that shift in the middle of June, I ended up going on to have a, a great July and a solid August and a good summer. But it was it was a a big lesson to just be open to leadership, to put that ego aside, to you know when you're having challenges, find people that can help you through them. And I continued that into the fall, solid fall. Uh, SLC really inspired me to start growing and really work on that part and reading and and really just trying to improve. And and I was in a much better spot uh, going into that first full year. Uh, we did about forty thousand dollars in the fall, and my first week of January we did just about forty thousand mm. dollars. And then so all, already you could see kind of that step forward because of that willingness to grow and and uh, and so that. That kind of my first full year was the next stage. We did two hundred sixteen thousand my first eight months and jumped up to five hundred fifty thousand in my first full year, uh, which was number two. Number two, which would have been the silver cup back then, I was rookie in the year, rookie of the year, but still so much better and was enjoying what I was doing better. Unfortunately, sometimes the better it goes, the more you enjoy it, right? So it's a lot more fun as you get better at it. And I was trying to think about going into that summer, some of the things that I was focused on. And uh, I would say the big step forward that spring was just focusing on, on my own consistency. And, uh, and, and that spring, I, I really worked on building the, the right habits and, and uh, not really waiting for the summer, but using February, using March. I believe that year I was number one in the nation for one week in April. And, uh, and I, it was Easter week and I still remember it. And, and at that moment, it was kind of like, all right, this is working. And so I went into the summer just with a lot more confidence. And, and those habits led to success, which led to confidence, which that second summer, I started attracting a lot more and better people. And so that was the, that was the biggest step forward as I started attracting more talented, better people. And from there, we just continued that same focus of growth and working hard. Uh, I was able to develop a, a really great work ethic and just showing up no matter how I felt and just found the plan. And, and what's, I think, driven me as a division manager and a district manager is that it's really important to me, the leadership I provide for the people around me. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I had people around me, now that was all the reason I needed to perform at a high level. And uh, I've, I've seen that with other districts that I've helped manage, that even if it's just one or two people that they really care about what they provide for that person, that's going to be a step forward in their their effort, the results, all that stuff. Yeah. Once you have those teammates in your organization, it's a lot easier to be inspired and motivated to bring your best every single day. So, and it's cool that you talked about establishing the habits Right. I think that anybody new in their business, whether it's a, you know, young district manager in Vector or somebody new in some other business can think about, right? What are the habits that are required for success? What are the daily habits, the weekly habits, the actions that successful people are taking that are leading them to where they, you know, want to be and, um, and be, be up thinking about how one can implement those into what they are doing and, and really establish those correct habits. Cause that is, as you said habits lead you to some success, which lead you to more confidence, 
which leads you to more success and makes you more attractive to the people who are coming up in the organization. So they want to stick around you. So it's pretty cool. How about uh, as a division manager in your early days as a division manager? What was that stage like for you? So the final step for me as a district manager, my last year, and this kind of parlays to being a division manager, I just, that spring, just decided to go all in, headed into the summer. And I'll know, I was at a DVM candidate meeting and my mailer number came back, which back then was a big determinant of our success pre-PR program. And I remember the number was big and I just decided that meeting, I'm sending them all. And, and I remember just going all in that summer and that extra commitment led to a breakout summer. And that fall, got a chance to get promoted to move to Boston for, mm. for February. And my early days as a division manager were really a culmination of all of that effort as a DM. I always wonder, had I not gotten promoted you know, what would that year have looked like as a DM? And I'm sure I would have taken that next step just because where I was. But in my case, I got moved to seven hours away, got to take a couple people, but largely was inheriting a group of people that were already here and just kind of took the same habits, the same work ethic, this new belief that I created. And uh, we had some great early success. So we, the team I took over did 2.6 million in 2000. And in 2001, we did 5.4 million. Wow. Essentially with with the same team. How did it grow so big in that first year? I think the two things I did correctly, I I really built relationships with the the people here. And I just spent a lot of time, whether that be dinners or events that we did or or even our cap sessions planning in the summer were extra long. Uh, and so that was number one. And then number two, and it came time for the summer to launch. Uh, I just relied on what I knew I was great at, which was running an office. And we just really led through the pilot. One of my uh, DMs was Mara Fosto. I think she was instrumental in really supporting me and, and whatever I said to do. She jumped right on it and she, she made sure all of her people were, were on it as well. And, and her and I had a great couple of years together, uh, leading the division together. And she definitely had a big impact as well. Yeah. Awesome. So you had these uh, initial years as a division manager of very high success. I believe you topped out right up over seven million one of those one of those first few years, right? Yeah. Yep. And, too. And, and then you entered into a stage of some challenge. Can you describe that stage for us and what you feel helped you to move beyond it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can remember just things weren't working as well as they had been, and and. Whenever I've experienced that, the most natural thing is to start questioning everything. And so I went through a stage where I questioned the program and some changes that were made. Or, or then I went through a stage where I questioned myself and, you know, have I, have I lost it? And then I, you know, there was even a stretch where I was questioning, you know, my region manager, does he know? And that was not Earl Kelly, by the way, just for the record. It was, it was my previous region manager. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I know Earl. Uh, he, it's not Earl. And I just kind of kept working. And two things I did right is I, I kept showing up, even when it wasn't as exciting as I was used to. And I also remember just grabbing the people that I really liked and that I really wanted to build with. And even though I didn't have my full confidence, just making sure I did whatever I could do to... That, that they were having a great experience. 
And uh, I ended up retaining some of them. And as I continued to kind of get back on my game, you know, they were there to, to help us kind of move into the, to the next phase. For me, the decision to just open my, myself up to improvement has always gotten me through those challenging times. And so I went cross-trading with uh, Rich Plaskin. Some of the more experienced people would know that name. And I remember going down and watching him run training. And uh, here's uh, one Hall of Famer watching another Hall of Famer. And it was, so, it was so powerful. It was November. And a month and a half later, we had uh, our first big January and now a string of a decade, almost a decade of, of big time Januaries. And just that choice to go down and you know, just kind of see somebody on their game. So that, that cross training was big and, and uh, just asking the right questions. What was great about Al and Earl and so forth, they, they never lost belief in, in what I could do. And, and so that was always one of the things that motivated me. Yeah. You know, you referenced questioning yourself during that time of challenge. And I think this is a great thing for everybody listening to think about because the reality is that in any business, there are cycles that we experience. There are ups and there are downs. Even for the best people, there are times that are down. And during those times, it's very easy to question yourself. However, you, during those times of challenge, were more developed, more trained, more capable, more skilled than you were two years before or four years before, right? You had come through more. You were, you were more capable of success in those moments of challenge than you were a few years earlier when you were experiencing greater highs. And a lot of times we lose sight of that and we just focus on deficit and what's not going right. And that tends to keep people down versus reminding yourself of the best times you've had, the strengths that you have, what is good in your business, and leveraging those strengths that you've developed over the years to pull yourself out of those sort of natural ups and downs. I think that's an important lesson people can, can take that, uh, that can help them to overcome those times as well. And then, of course, as you also said, investing in the people around you, like really just digging into who's here, who's committed, who's with me, right? To help rebuild the success that you want to have. That, that is a key part of staying motivated is just pouring yourself into the individuals that are there and are really committed to you. How do you feel your career has continued to evolve since that time? I'd love to hear more about your division manager experiences and the evolution of your career. Awesome. I think that taught me the importance of sphere of influence and who you're talking to. And uh, I think I could credit Trent Booth was the first person to ask me this. And that is, who are the key people that, that when you talk to them, they bring energy to you? And are you talking to them enough? And, and really just thinking about the people, in this case, outside of the business, although two or three of them happen to be also in the business that I have to make sure that I'm talking to to be my best self. And, and so that's part of the sphere of influence. It's also people in the business and, and just no matter who it is, you know, people that are doing great, I'm just making sure I'm in the same room. I'm talking to those people. I actually, three or four years ago, I went cross-training with a DM. 
Uh, some of you may know Brian Hurlman. And, you know, just the opportunity to reconnect with what big time managers were doing right now. And uh, you know, the Eastern Region DVM team, the Central Region, Mike Muriel, Scott Dennis, the PR Task Force, just being around other people that are innovating, that are really pushing themselves, that are, I guess, at the cutting edge of things, right? Can we use that pun? <laughs> we and, can. Uh, and, and so that sphere of influence has been huge. And, and it seems like that kind of, no matter the challenges you run into, that helps you navigate and continue seeing the future and where you're going to be if you keep working hard. So I think there's that. Who were some of those key influences? You mentioned some inside, some outside the business. Who were some of those key influences on you during those years? I would say I leaned heavily on my new region manager at the time, Earl Kelly. He was my division manager when I had my best district success. John Kane and I uh, still have those powerful days that we spend together. I think in that stretch, I probably spent more time with my dad. My parents got divorced when I was five. And so there was a stretch of time where he wasn't in my life. And I spent a lot more time with him during that stretch still to this day. Uh, and so that's been a really powerful relationship. And then uh, in my case, my brother, it's, uh, we live far farther apart than we'd like to, but you know, a couple times a year, we get the whole family together. That makes a difference. And so those are some of the kind of both. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, tell us some more of the most important experiences uh, in the uh, you know, mid and latter stages of your DVM career. What were some of the times that helped transform your career or your life? I would say picking a great wife. So she would have to go on that list as well of the, the gentleman that I just mentioned. But Courtney, fantastic and super supportive. And, and our values align with what you should choose to do for work. Uh, and so she's been super supportive. And, and I think that as I've developed as a division manager, that's been transformational in that I now have a lot more goals than I had when I was a younger DVM. And I've coached people through this where you, you go through a stage when you're younger in Vector where most of your goals uh, are Vector-related. And then as time goes on and your life changes, you get to the point where uh, now it's only a piece of your goals. Uh, part of your goals, but really figuring out a way to align what I'm doing here, you know, with those goals and and things like wanting my my daughters, a four and a six year old, to experience the vector opportunity. You know, the first time I got to go to Paris was on a company trip as a DM, and the first time they get to go to Paris is at four and six years old. Wow! And uh, they. Uh, they cannot wait every morning. It's so. Are we going to Paris today? And, uh, <laughs> not yet. It's coming though. It's coming. They got passports. I didn't get a passport till I was a DM. They have passports, and so really seeing how the two can mesh together. Bringing my team over this fall, we did football. I brought my DM team over to the house, and and I put my two families together. And and so now now that you know, I think of aligning everything. It's almost like I work. For them, and then when I'm home, uh, I'm there for them as well. And, and it just—it's uh, uh, the business you can't wait to get to, but the family you can't wait to get home to, type of thing. And just you know, as I've gotten older, seeing how that how that plays itself out. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. What else can you say about the stages you've experienced in the last ten years or so as a division manager? So even after through the what I would say is the most challenging part. Uh, of being a DVM, there's still been stretches that were challenging. And 
I kept coming back to that same advice I got that that is just you know focus on growing your people. Just wrap your arms around the people that you know you really want to grow with, and and make sure they're good, and you'll be fine. Challenges are temporary. I had a 2016. This is relatively recent, and uh, we had our best spring campaign ever as an office. Division was solid as well, and I lost my voice on like April 12th. And, uh, and, uh, I was given the wind up at the summer kickoff and I literally had no voice. And, uh, you know, at that time you would hope it would take a couple days a week. It was really kind of a July division meeting. That was the first message I gave for the summer. This is like July 13th that I felt like I had the full use of my voice. Well, so from April to July, you were lacking your voice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like microphone in training where we would turn up the volume every time I wanted to like get excited. It was kind of a joke, you know, you know, you turn it up so it was louder, but I couldn't talk over a certain level. In the middle of interviews, I would go in a coughing fit and just kind of walk on the way to the bathroom and like tap on the PSM's window and she would have to jump up and go out and just take over the interview wherever I was. Oh my gosh. Was. It was uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a planning nightmare. But uh, what's amazing about it, because of that focus on people, that as of May 1st this year, there'll be three DMs that are running offices in my division currently, because my PSM is one of them, she's getting promoted, that were in that office. So one was an AM and two were reps. And so in the worst results, the worst moment of my office manager career, again, if you take care of people, uh, you can still build from even something like that. So I mean, those times come and it's just about, you know, continuing to take care of your people at a certain point, figure out your, you know, what your next vision is and just keep moving forward. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. What do you think, uh, Ryan is most important to you as a leader? I think the biggest thing I think it was energy when I'm somewhere, I just want to, I want to be that smiling face, that, that vibe, that energy. And that's one of the things I've been blessed with even now. 26 years later, I still have that, that energy when I get into the office, when I'm at meetings and I'm talking to people. So that's number one. Number two, I'd say just, just being a servant leader, you know, and really giving of myself and my effort and my time. And I was taught to say, we're, Hey, we're never going to quit on you. That resonates with me. The idea of really just, you know, believing in people, not giving up on people, giving of myself and then helping people see the, the bigger for themselves. Yeah. John Cain didn't quit on you. So yeah, I can't, I, I have to keep paying it forward. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, Ryan, as you look ahead, I'm interested to hear what you feel like success looks like to you. What does it look like for your organization there in Northern New England first? And, and also what does success look like in your life? When I look forward, I am really excited in the direction of the entire company. And so I think that what we're about to enter into is, is the best that Vector has ever seen. And with that, I believe the people that are doing the right stuff, that are working hard, that are taking care of people and doing uh, the, the right style of leadership are really going to be part of it and, and benefit in a very real way. And when I think about where my team is today, we have a lot of, we have a couple leaders, we have a couple Hall of Famers, Ryan Davern, Katie Capone, but largely a newer team 
And so what I see next for this team is as they continue to grow as leaders and step forward and, and really uh, the same kind of path that uh, we described today for me. And we have four, five, six cylinder offices really going after the business. I see a really exciting future. And my commitment to my family through all of that is I want my girls, uh, my wife included, to, to really experience the best that the Vector opportunity uh, has to offer long before they're 18. Of course, they'll be able to experience when they're 18. But, uh, and that is the, uh, the, the trips, the dad being present at the daddy-daughter dance that I went to a couple weeks ago and just really, uh, just really making sure I'm the, as good of a dad or better than I've been a division manager. Well, that's an inspiring vision for people to hear. And, and I share that thought of like, you know, of all the roles we play, you know, being a leader in our business is a really important role because it impacts a lot of people. But being a dad is, it's the role that I, I want to, I really want to be the best at. It's the role that I feel like I want to be known for in the future that, uh, you know, I was able to help impact and create these two little, people that go out and impact the world in a, in a big way themselves. So, and, and our kids are similar ages. Yours are six and four. Mine are about to be six, about to be three here as we're recording. And we're having a double birthday party here this weekend. So just, uh, it's, a, it's a fun thing. It's cool. And it's, it's glad to hear that you prioritize that as something that's really important to you in your, in your life. Ryan, I feel like there have been some good insights in here about the different stages people will experience in their career and their life, you know, going through those moments of truth in their early days, having some great success that sometimes comes, uh, you know, just from the raw enthusiasm we have when we're new at something, but then experiencing periods of challenge and having to figure out, you know, what are my strengths? What brought me to where I am now? How can I move forward? Who are we surrounding ourselves with also is a key thing that you shared and investing in your people just a lot of really good advice. And, and I just want to give you an opportunity if you feel like there's anything else that you want to share with the Vector audience or anything that you feel like people can uh, glean from you before we wrap up, uh, just uh, give you one last chance to see if there's anything else you want to throw in. I'll just uh, repeat uh, what has already been said. If we, if we take care of our people, then uh, we will be taken care of. And what we do is amazing. There's other companies that believe in personal growth and try and set up systems like that, but we're able to do it at a much younger age for these people where it's just going to change the trajectory of everything they do. So take yep. care of your people. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for your time on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. You're a legend in the business. You're well-respected by everyone. And that aspect of energy and being that smiling face, you've always been that person for your entire career, as far as I can remember. And I know everybody respects and admires you for that. So Thanks so much for being part of the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks, awesome. Dan. That was Ryan Trembler, everyone. Pretty cool to hear how he started with John Kane, the legend invector, and how John and a conversation with John was a moment of truth in Ryan's career and presumably in Ryan's life. I also thought it was instructive that Ryan talked about establishing the habits and the consistency, right, that led him to be able to be successful. And I think anybody listening could think right now and consider what are one or two or three key 
habits that you must establish that you know are going to lead you in the direction you want to go? And how can you establish those habits, incorporate and establish those right now in your business and or in your life? Really compelling to hear how Ryan experienced this period of challenge after a few years of success as a division manager and started to question himself. And one of the most important keys to breaking through periods of challenge is to continue to see our own potential. One of my favorite stories in the Vector business is a story of a guy I've worked with for many years now who is a company legend himself named Ron Geronimo. And Ron was in my office as the pilot manager, division office manager, during a year where our office crushed it. We were third in the nation. We did really, really well. We had a huge summer. And then Ron went to be a district manager the next year and um, you know, set his goal for his first year, his first eight months. Our district managers usually open their offices in May. His goal was to do 500,000. And he promptly did 140,000 in sales in his first summer as a district manager. And the next year, we were having a planning session where we were talking about the summer. And I remember I was driving in the car with Ron and we were talking about his goals for the summer. And he said, you know, his goal was to do 300,000. And to go from 140 to 300 would be doubling his success. It would, it would have been a good goal. But I just felt like there was more in it for Ron, that he was capable of more. And so I pushed back on that goal of 300,000. And I asked Ron, you know, what, why your goal last year was 500,000. Why is it 300,000 now? And he's like, well, I did 140 last year, you know, and he was being beaten up by the result of the first summer. And for any new manager, the first summer can be a big challenge. It's, it's hard, you know, to open up a new business and to pull it all together quickly. And I asked Ron, you know, which Ron is more skilled, the Ron of a year ago or the Ron of right now? He said, well, right now, which Ron has more experience a year ago or right now? Which Ron is more capable of achievement, the one of a year ago or right now? The one right now. Right. So why would your goal right now be lower than the goal was one year ago? Just because you experienced some poor results and let that pull you down. And this turned Ron's thinking around in the moment. And Ron went out in that second summer and sold 567,000. He went from 140 to 567. And one of the most important keys was not questioning himself, but seeing himself for his strengths, seeing himself for what he had already done in the past before that period of struggle, seeing himself for his potential, for his greatness. And I think that's a great lesson that anyone listening can take home today. And it certainly applied to Ryan Trembler as he went through those same challenges as a division manager after several years of success pulled through that and has become one of the all-time greats in the history of the company. Of course, some of Ryan's keys to overcoming that, one of the most important ones is who are you talking to? Who are you talking to on a daily basis? Sometimes when people are experiencing periods of challenge or mediocrity, they seek out others who are in that same state, right? Because misery loves company is the saying we've all heard. And sometimes you like to have those conversations with people who are experiencing those same challenges. That's not where you want to go. 
but instead force yourself to be talking to the people that are energizing you, that are picking you up. And of course, grow the people who you want to be around, who you have in your organization, wrap your arms around those key people and help them develop. Because if you take care of people, right, Vector will take care of you. I love how Ryan talked about his enthusiasm for the direction of the company. There are so many people who have stayed in Vector for so long. It really is strange to contemplate the number and quality of individuals that have been in Vector now for 20, 25, 30 plus years. And for anybody who is advancing through the company or in whatever it is that you do, it's always easy to look outside and, and see that the grass might be greener somewhere else. But what I want to remind you of is that the grass is greenest wherever you water it. And if you are a part of Vector, you are in a place with unlimited opportunity and tremendous people with a huge amount of support. And that is a critical factor for success. And so remember, if you take care of your people, Vector will take care of you. And if you're outside of Vector, the corollary to that is that if you add value to others and whatever you're doing, give yourself to causes that are adding value to people all around you, help other people, and life will take better care of you. Hope you got some great insights from Ryan Trembler today. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.